Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Continue going through God's hymnal here, the book of Psalms. We're in book five now. There's five books in Psalms. Yeah, Mary, show me five. Five, right? And that's good. So, I mean, we got a, quite a few. Book five is a large book. We got a ways to go. But um, we are in the final book in the book of Psalms. Uh, it is, Psalm 107 is another long one. I think the last three now have been 40 verses or more. But we have here a song that's praising God for his delivering and his transforming work in our lives. Deliverance has to happen first. There can't be any transformation until God delivers us. But uh, we have a God who delivers and transforms, right? That's what we have. So let's see what Psalm 107 teaches us about that. Let's read it together. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. And then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God. And contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And he brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. But then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and he delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and the raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro, they stagger like a drunken man, and they're at their wit's end. And then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. And he turneth the wilderness into standing water and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation and sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. He blesses them also, so they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and he maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. That's the goal here tonight, for you and I to understand the loving kindness, the goodness, the mercy of the Lord. And verses 1 through 3, they introduce the message of this song. It begins with an exclamation that's also an exhortation. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. He is good, isn't he? God is good. Uh, Is that what you know of God? Is that how you view God? Do you, do you declare that, just like it's being done here? Do you declare that to God, as we just did in Psalm? Do you declare that to others? And the ground of his goodness is in the rest of verse 1. He is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, your Bible might have endureth, mine does, in italics, uh, or some other word in italics there. That's because it's not in the original Hebrew text. Uh, it's given there to help us understand the thought. Uh, in the Hebrew, it literally just says, his mercy forever. And his mercy is forever, isn't it? It's eternal. We can always count on it. If you have a modern English translation, it probably says something like this. His steadfast love endures forever or his covenant love endures forever. The Hebrew word that's translated mercy here in the King James is chesed. It means God's eternal, dependable, steadfast. You can always count on it. It will always be there. Covenant love. And I don't think mercy is a bad translation that the King James uses. It's only because God is merciful that we are recipients of that eternal, dependable, steadfast, always there for us love. And if we look at verse 2, it begins to lead us into what is now going to be a series of four illustrations about what God's love is purposed to do and what it does in those who turn in faith to Jesus. It delivers. And after it delivers, it transforms Look at verse 2 once more. It says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. As I was studying this verse in preparation to speak to you tonight, uh, I heard our choir when I read that verse. Especially Scott. I heard Scott Bell, because he's got a solo part on that song. But we sing about, they sing about God being good. And I think Scott's the one that says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who God is, that God is good. Uh, one of my favorites that they sing. Verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what? Well, say what verse 1 said, that God is good and his mercy endures forever. And then the rest of verse 2 and verse 3, they speak about how God redeemed his people. He redeemed Israel from their enemies, and he gathered them back together and back to him. And God did this uh, here on earth for his people back then, but he's done that spiritually for every one of us who's trusted in Christ as Savior. One day, one coming day, Jesus will return, and there will be a final and forever gathering. Our our redemption will be complete. But now here come the four pictures, the four pictures of redemption in Psalm 107 to help us understand, to help us worship God for his delivering and transforming work in our lives. 
We have a delivering God. First of all, in verses 4 to 9, he delivers the sojourner. God has the psalmist begin with an illustration that God's people back then knew very well. Were they sojourners? Were they wanderers in the wilderness? Man, they had lived that experience frequently. As verses 4 and 5 mentioned, they had a history of wandering the wilderness. Um, They had a history of knowing hunger and thirst. Each one of these illustrations of our delivering God, uh, it begins with a problem. Their problem, they were sojourners. They were wandering in the wilderness. But then there's a prayer. And then God provides deliverance. And then there's praise. And that was their problem here. In verses 4 to 9, they were sojourners. They were wandering in the wilderness, homeless, helpless, hopeless. And, you know, before we came to trust in Jesus as our Savior, we had the same problem. We, we were wanderers. We were uh, hungry and thirsty, looking for something that would satisfy, um, looking for satisfaction here and there, but, but never finding it until we came to Christ, until at some point we did what they did in verse 6. We cried unto the Lord in our trouble, and he delivered us out of our distresses. Well, that's good of God, isn't it? That's the point here. Uh, that's an evidence of his eternal, steadfast, dependable covenant love. That's ours forever in Jesus Christ. And so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Verses 8 and 9 close this first illustration of our delivering God by telling us to do what God's already told us to do in verses 1 and 2. Because God delivers sojourners, because he delivers those who have wandered in the wilderness of sin, this should be our cry too. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. We have a delivering God who satisfies, as we just sang. He satisfies that wandering, longing, hungry, and thirsty soul. There's a second second, uh, picture for us of God's deliverance. Our redemption is is that God delivers the scofflaw in verses 10 through 16. A scofflaw is somebody who has no regard for the law or even the the penalties that result (laughs) from having no regard for it. Verses 10 to 16 speak of God delivering those who were captive because they were scofflaws. Look at verse 10. These are individuals who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death being bound. They're captive, being bound in affliction and iron. They're prisoners. And verse 11 tells us they, they were prisoners because they had rebelled against the words of God. They had contempt. They had contempt for the counsel of the Most High. So this is not a prisoner like Joseph in Genesis, where he was there because he obeyed God, or, or like Peter or Paul and Acts, who were sometimes thrown in prison because they had obeyed the Lord. These portrayed here are captives. They're in prison because they were scofflaws. They had scoffed at God's law. They had no regard for God's word. They didn't see it as something that was relevant to them. Um, and that happened throughout the Old Testament to God's people. They rebelled against his word. Those who will refuse to be under subjection to God, God will put you under subjection to wicked people at times. Many of Israel's kings, when they had led God's people into idolatry, like Zedekiah or Manasseh, um, they were taken captive and they were imprisoned. And you and I, we were here once too. Before we heard the gospel, before we placed our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us to save us, we were all scofflaws. In our sin, we had rebelled Uh, against the words of God. We had decided uh, that the counsel of the Most High was not something that we needed to be accountable to. We weren't worried about that. And we were imprisoned. We were sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. We were headed to an eternity 
in hell without Christ, according to God's word. We were bound in the afflictions and iron of our sin nature. We were citizens of the kingdom of darkness before God translated us into the kingdom of his dear son by grace through faith. You know, if we're going to obey the commands of verse 1 and 2, to, to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for the redeemed of the Lord to say so, that God is good, every once in a while, it's good for you and I to remember what life was like and where we were before we came to Christ. Why don't you think about that for a moment? Before you knew who Jesus was and what he had done for you, before he saved you, Every so often, in order to awaken the worship that is due to our delivering God, it's beneficial for us to consider that there was a time when we didn't know God's goodness and a steadfast love. You know why that's so good for us? Because that'll spark humble worship. It should. The problem of God's people now turns to a prayer in verse 13. They cried unto the Lord, and their trouble, and he delivered them, he saved them out of their distresses. Because of his steadfast, enduring covenant, dependable love, he hears their prayer, he hears their cry, and then he delivers them. And then here comes his provision. He brought, he brought them out of darkness, verse 14. He brought them out of the shadow of death. He broke uh, those bonds, those bands in sunder. Christian, when you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, God delivered you the very same way. Uh, you, know, you no longer have to sin. <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, the power that sin, the power that Satan had over you before you were saved, uh, it's no longer the same. God broke your bands in sunder. And so praise should be the response for that freedom that we have in Christ. That's what verse 15 says, once again, closing out this section. Giving thanks, the redeemed who've been set free from captivity, saying so, saying God is good, and that his love endures forever because if we look at verse 16, God has broken the gates of brass and he's cut the bars of iron and sunder. We got a third picture here of God's deliverance and our redemption. He delivers the sick. That's what verses 17 to 22 describe. Uh, think of a terminally ill patient being delivered by God. We find such instances of God healing the sick, delivering them from disease in God's word. And in the Old Testament, there are so many. Um, I think of Moses' sister, Miriam. She had leprosy. God healed her. Naaman, New Testament, um, Jesus healing the lepers, those who were demon-possessed. The lady, That lady who had spent every bit of her money trying to find a cure until in her last resort she reached out for the hem of his garment and Jesus healed her. Jairus' daughter. Do we have a God that delivers the sick? I mean, I look around here and I can see some of those testimonies. Uh, because of the opening verse, verse 17 of this section, in this third illustration of our delivering God, at least in this instance, it seems that the sickness, the illness was self-inflicted. Sometimes that happens. It happens in our day. Um, in, in one sense, all sickness and illness is a result of sin. It didn't happen before Adam and Eve sinned. There was no sickness. There was no death before the fall. Um, but, but there are some illnesses that we might experience that, that are personally self-inflicted. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're, we're sick because we made a choice to do something that we knew would make us sick or could make us sick. Because we were foolish, it says in verse 17, <laughs> because of our transgressions and, and iniquities. And we might get so bad off that, as verse 18 refers to, we even lose our appetite. And we begin to draw near to the gates of death. So there's a problem. 
And what comes next? The prayer and the repentant cry of faith turning to God. Verse 19, uh, the sick cry out to God in their trouble and he saves them out of their distresses. For those who are Christ's, they are sometimes delivered here and now medically from sickness. And, and you know that sometimes God gives them the greatest deliverance, doesn't he? That the full and final and forever you won't be sick anymore. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's the greatest deliverance. And verse 20 tells us how God delivers the sick. How does he do it? He sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Now earlier we referred to Jesus, a couple instances where he healed the sick. And we see that in Jesus. I mean, literally, God sent his word. Isn't that what Jesus is called in, in the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God sent his word, the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ, God's final perfect word to us. And sometimes Jesus healed just by speaking, didn't he? He never got in a rut. Sometimes he would use some mud. But oftentimes he just said, be healed. Be it as your faith is just described and that's all it takes for God to heal now. I mean, the word of God that spoke the universe into existence, it is more than capable of delivering us from even self-inflicted illness. Cancer is no match for the word of God. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God. And you know, way worse than any physical malady that we might ever experience is the reality that man comes into this world with a sin sickness. Every single person does. But God delivers us the same way, doesn't he? He sends his word. He takes his word, especially in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he heals us when we believe it. When we receive its message, he delivers the sick. And this third illustration of our delivering God, it ends in verses 21 and 22, just as it did in the other two, with another cry. It's now the third time. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that we would sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and that we would declare his works with rejoicing. We got one more example, delivering the storm tossed in verses 23 to 32. Have you ever been in a storm? That's a dumb question. You all live in southeastern North Carolina, right? Um, metaphorically, though, think about it. You ever been through the storms of life? I suppose that's a dumb question, too, because Jesus promised you would, didn't he? His followers in John 16, 31, in this world you will have tribulation. Don't fear I've overcome this world. And I can tell you've been through because you're here tonight. You've been through. Uh, verses 23 and 24 present this fourth and final illustration of our delivering God to us. It's pictures of sailors who are out on the sea. They're making a living, just doing, uh, doing life, doing their sailor stuff, business, going about business. But then in verses 25 and 26, the wind starts howling and the swells rise up. The waves start crashing. I want you to know something important here. Uh, does this natural phenomenon just happen all by itself? Let's say in verse 25, who is the source of the storm? God. Yeah, yeah, Alyssa, God is. It says, for he commandeth. That's an important feature, Christian. When you're in a storm, please remember that because we need to remember what it implies. There's purpose in it as a source of the storm that we might be going through. He's in control of it. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to bless the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. When you get there, you're beginning to understand the great mercy of the Lord and the goodness of God. 
You know, sometimes we feel like these sailors when we're going through storms. Verse 27 says that they reeled to and fro. I have been on a boat where things were a little shaky. And that's kind of what you do, try to get your legs, right? They stagger like, like drunken people. And even at the end of verse 27, sometimes we get to a place when we're going through a storm when we are at our wits' end. Do you know what that means? Literally in the Hebrew, we are out of ideas. We can't handle it. And that's an uncomfortable place. But that's where deliverance begins because you can't handle it. You weren't designed to handle it. You can't deliver yourself, but the source of your storm can. He can and he does. If we will just do what verse 28 teaches us to do, are you in a problem again? Well, then what we've learned here, it's time for prayer. Cry out to the Lord in your trouble, verse 28, and our delivering God will bring you out of your distresses. But like Peter, when he was out on the water trying to go meet Jesus, too often we take our eyes off of Christ and we begin to turn them to the wind and the waves and we begin to rely on our own wit in the storm. And like Peter, we start sinking. But it's when we turn our eyes back to him, when we cry out to the Lord that we find his hand extended just like it was to Peter, bringing us through in his mercy and steadfast love. Verse 29 reassures us that the source of the storm can control the storm. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. He can, and he does. He speaks. Isn't that what Jesus did? He got up on that boat and he said, peace, be still. And he calms the storm. In my experience, that usually occurs after he calms us in, in the storm. And praise Always follows the problem, the prayer, and the provision of our delivering God. It had better. Verse 30 says, Then they are glad because they may be quiet, so he brings them to their desired haven. I want you to go to verses 31 and 32. I want to read those again. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is now the fourth time in 32 verses. Um, that God has said this in Psalm 107. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works and the children of men. For four times now, God has repeated this same phrase, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. You understand why God keeps saying this? Because there's too many instances when his people don't. <laughs> we got the problem, and we cry out to God in prayer. And then he provides and he delivers us and the praise might not follow suit. There's too many times, too many instances where his people don't praise him for his goodness and his, for his wonderful works to the children of men. I, I know we've already sung praises tonight. We're going to in a little bit. But, but can we make sure um, that this is not true of his people here tonight? I had intended to go through this whole psalm. I think we're going to stop here. We, we can finish the rest of it next week. Let's make sure this is not true of his people here tonight. Who has experienced God's goodness and his wonderful works in the children of men? Uh, listen, it might not even be about you, because for four times now we have been instructed to praise him for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know, we can praise God for more than just his deliverance in our own personal lives, right? When we see his deliverance in somebody else's life or somebody we've been praying for, we should praise him for that as well, and we should. So, so who's first? Verse 32 says, we will exalt God in the congregation of his people and praise him in the assembly of elders.